Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Marco Wargraber and Jennifer Teske. Marco is the Director of Neuropsychopharmacology at the Federal Institute for Drugs and Medical Devices. Jennifer is Assistant Professor in the Department of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Arizona. They're here to speak with us about case studies highlighting the use of DSI small animal EEG telemetry for measuring REM and non-REM sleep in rats, as well as hippocampal theta oscillations in a mouse model of Alzheimer's. Let's jump in. First, two questions directed to you, Marco. I'm going to put these together. First, how do you connect the sensing lead of the electrode to the deep electrode? Yeah, as I've uh, mentioned earlier, what we normally do is uh, we, uh, so this the uh, radio frequency transmitter has a stainless steel helix, and for the deep electrode implantation, we use, uh, normally we use stainless steel pins, so you somehow have to connect both. Uh, we normally do this by just mechanically attaching them. You can, for example, using small clips. Well, Technically, there are different ways how you can clip it, but we definitely do not recommend to, for example, connect both by soldering because this can induce noise to the system. Perfect. And then kind of on the same accord of methods here, in your experience, which cement works best for fixation of the electrodes on the skull? Yeah, actually, we have uh, a couple of months or years actually in testing uh, what is the optimal cement. So as, as I've presented, we are using a dental uh, cement and at least in our hands, um, best one is a glass unomer cement. So this type of cement has a, cap a capability to actually go into the uh, caniculi of the uh, skull. So you have a very tight attachment of the of the cement to the skull, so you do not have the, so there's no possibility that your, that this electrode uh, cement cup on top of the skull can actually get uh, removed uh, by the animal, for example, by scratching or something like that. Okay, very good. Next question for you, Jen. In your experience, uh, or in your laboratory, have you experienced artifact in the EEG and EMG signals when you pair these recordings with the behavioral equipment you showed today? We actually test that before we did all of our recordings, and we do not see a lot of artifact by pairing the systems, and we haven't done a lot of intervention to reduce that. So I'm guessing if we even did any of the procedures that Marco mentioned, we would reduce that to zero. Okay, excellent. And again, maybe for you, Jen, uh, would, in your experience, do you feel that the animal's behavior has, is influenced by the implanted transmitter, or can you comment on this? Yes, and as I mentioned, in our studies, that's very important to us because any change in their behavior is going to change the energy efficiency. So we were very interested in that. And the answer is no, we're not seeing that the behaviors are largely changed and we can compare all of our animals, say before transmitter implantation and after. So the answer is no. Okay, very good. This is probably relates to both of you, but Marco, I'll ask that you maybe answer first. In your experience, how long uh, can one record high quality EEG recordings from an implanted mouse? Yeah, as you've seen from both of our presentations, the, the battery life of the transmitter is depending on which transmitter you use. For example, the F20ET or the HDXO2 is 1.5 months, so six weeks. So continuously re you can record for six uh, 
six weeks, for example, well, normally you you probably won't do that. You can definitely reuse the transmitter in different animals. Back to the question, how long do you actually can record high-quality EEGs? Well, there is, at least to our experience, uh, a limitation. As I've pointed out before, of course, you have to drill holes or you can also use screws, but that doesn't make much difference. You somehow have to get through the skull and from the, from the edge of the drilled holes, there's at least this is what we observed there is reactive ossification and this re reactive ossification is proceeding with time and let's say after about eight weeks two months and uh, later this ossification must not but it can result in a lift up of the of the electrodes out of the hole and you might observe you might realize this by the fact that your EEG gets contaminated after a couple of months after the implantation. This is, uh, I would like to stress that this is um, not a restriction uh, or a problem of telemetry. It's a general issue if you drill holes into the, into the skull. At least in mice, we have observed this reactive ossification, mm -hmm. um, which simply is a limit to the um, duration of the recording. Oh, very good insights. Uh, Jennifer, anything to add there or I guess specific to the rat model that you've experienced? Well, in the rat, we typically do not keep our implants in for more than a month. And okay. with a month, we find that there's reliable recordings, but we, have, we just don't go longer than a month just because we have more short-term studies. Okay. Maybe, maybe Andy, I can just add that in most cases, our recordings are also restricted to more or less one month. And for this time period, this also works perfect in mice. So you have no EMG, ECG contamination. or So you have high quality EGs for the first month's recording in mice also. So Okay. And actually, this definitely leads us into another question. So Yana and uh, Benjamin have both put in specific questions about ECG contamination on their EEG recordings. And I think maybe, can you offer any additional tips when it comes to, you know, reducing ECG contamination in your recordings or perhaps how you address filtering or cleaning that out of the signal downstream when you get to the data analysis stage? Marco, perhaps you could start. Well, first of all, I have to say, so ECG contamination can have different, so, uh, different um, sources. So if the implantation is performed properly and if the uh, electrodes are implanted properly and you have uh, the cement is um, closely tied to the skull and you have no connection to extracellular fluid, you won't have a problem with ECG contamination. This is, so in mice, this is definitely not the case. If you have ECG contamination, it is, we observe this if we have really animals implanted for, let's say, more than eight weeks. If we have this ossification problems later, post-mortem, you can actually see that the ossification process has lifted up the, the cement. So you have a connection to the extracellular fluid, which, let's say, imports the e ECG artifact. The other, another problem could be that you have uh, damage of the silicon insulation, but this is something you would see right from the beginning. So normally, I would just like to mention one thing. If you uh, have a, if you deeply anesthetize an animal, uh, a mouse, for example, and you, ha and you get close to the EEG zero line, 
you will always see tiny um, peaks from the ECG. But they are just, let's say, one microvolt or less. So for any type of analysis, at least in, in mice, this is of no relevance. If you really have an ECG con contamination, um, it is, at least to our experience, very difficult to get rid of this. So we normally tend to implant a new enema. But in most cases, I would suggest to check whether the silicon insulation is damaged. And the other um, possibility is that you might, that you probably have that your the isolation of the implanted electrodes uh, from the surrounding tissue is not properly mm -hmm. is not properly done. No, that's great feedback. And just Jen, any additional thoughts from you or things that you've done in the lab to combat against ECG contamination? No, we really haven't seen this to be a problem, and all of the tips that Marco gave were excellent. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers, and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.